0: Welcome to Hive Mind. I'm Meg. I'm here with Eli. Hey, Eli. Hello. What have you been
1: watching? Well, um, I have been watching the documentary docu series Unprecedented. Have you been watching it? No. You know what it is? No. This is the Trump documentary series that just came out like, a week ago. Can I, I handle know. Handle it. Um, I'm just gonna
0: double check. It. Okay.
1: I'm. I'm gonna tell you. I lately have a very low tolerance for upsetting real life content. For I don't know why. <laughs> um, but like I had to stop listening to the Daily several months ago, for example, yeah. the podcast because I was just like I, I can't do it. Um, I just can't can't pump more of that into my brain. Um, I like I, I have to skip over a lot of stuff because it just makes me so upset. So I thought I wouldn't be able to stomach this, uh, but it's actually been kind of good to watch because I've been watching the January 6th hearings, all of them. Yeah. And those have been excellent to watch. Um, they've really helped me kind of understand what's going on. And Liz Cheney, who is somebody that like I don't align with politically, but she's incredible. Like She is an incredible mind, has yeah. an incredible legal mind. And so... Her um, what she's been doing in the January 6 hearings and the way she's been presenting information has been really helpful for me. So this docu series, unprecedented. it's a British documentarian, got like exclusive access to the entire like Trump family and Trump world leading up to the 2020 election and following the 2020 election. and they just like let him follow them around and they did candid interviews with him. and it's wild what these people thought. They should tell, him, tell what, him.
0: What pretense did he give them?
1: He was just like, I want to do a, a series, you know, a docu series about your family. It's you know what you you guys are an important family, and I'd like to be able to do it. And he retained, they like signed away all editorial control, so he retained all editorial control. What? And I mean, these are not the brightest people in the world. Sure. I don't know if you knew that. Like they're they're very arrogant. Um, they think they're used to being able to get away with things, and so they just sat down with them and, like, very candidly talked about what they were up to. And um, they do not look good in this. And so there, it's been kind of nice to sort of see that. And um, I haven't finished it, but apparently it has some bombshells in it, and a bunch of the fo- all of the footage was turned over to the January 6th committee and to the DOJ.
0: Was he one of the first witnesses to testify? Is that the same guy? Because there was a British documentarian.
1: Did he? I missed the first hearing and and just got it summed up. And so I may have missed if he did testify. Okay. But I would not be. So I think he did testify at least. I don't know if he testified at the public hearing or if he just testified behind closed doors and then they used part of it. Do you remember?
0: um this guy was actually testifying he was one okay. of the witnesses on the televised hearing
1: okay because there there was a whole to do they had requested and were trying to get copy of the footage but he didn't own it anymore and so there was a whole to do about that and it t- i know it took them a while to finally get and i think they ended up getting like all of the raw footage and it's being used now um for you know by the doj for prosecute prosecutorial purposes um It's being used by the January 6th committee. It's just the whole thing is just. It's incredible that this is real life, but um, I would recommend it. I can't remember where I'm watching it. I think I had to get a new like streaming service. (laughs) I know how many more. I know it's so annoying, but I'm like doing like the free 30 day trial and then I'll probably You'll never remember I know, to cancel I this, that. I did this with like Peacock and now I'm like a permanent Peacocker. I did this with CBS All Access. I tried
0: and... to cancel Hulu and then Hulu released all this great content and I'm like, well, mm-hmm. I guess.
1: They do that. They <laughs> suck you in. Okay. Do we want to talk for a minute about Keep Sweet? Yeah. Okay. So I know we both finished Keep Sweet, which is the docuseries about Warren Jeffs. I think it's only four parts, right? It's four parts. Yeah. You short um it's incredible
0: yes and i want to say i thought i was walking into another under the banner of heaven Mm -hmm. where i had like some defensiveness going in it's not that at all Mm -hmm. it is very much like this is its own thing these Mm -hmm. are fundamentalists who are not no longer associated with the latter day saint religion and they interview a lot of Latter-day Saints who are trying to help these people get out. So if you are feeling any type of defensiveness about watching it, I don't think you need to.
1: It's it's very empowering to watch in a lot of ways because it's um you know, it's an anthem of the victims of Warren Jeffs, right? Like it's yeah. it's a bunch of these these women who were suck- and and men by the way too, but it focuses primarily on the women who were sucked into and and victimized by this awful system and this awful person and experienced abuse. And, and that, that is upsetting. You know, you, you learn about, you know, what kinds of things Warren Jeffs was doing to, to women and to girls. And that's upsetting, but there is a really empowering element to it, to see these women interview and talk about like what they've done with their lives and how they, how they work their way through it and how they, how they're processing it. Um, The, the series ends Oh my gosh, Meg, the way the series ends, I cannot stop thinking about it. There's a woman who was, you know, one of the polygamous wives who's interviewed throughout the series and she, you know, has some kids and she finally got to a point where she was able to break away and get her kids out of there and the way the entire series ends, spoiler alert, is she's describing this experience of finally leaving the town and she's driving in this car behind a truck that has all of their stuff in it. And as she's driving, she describes it. The truck doors open up and they recreate it beautifully, I think. Mm-hmm. And she's she says the truck doors opened up. They just weren't secured and they opened up and all of her stuff just starts tumbling out of the truck and like her dress, her like prairie dresses and, you know, just all this stuff going all over the freeway. And she has this like realization. I the final line is something like I realized I just have to start over and then it goes like black screen and that's the end of the series. And I was like bawling. It's so good.
0: It's a very well done series. It's very effective, like you said, and empowering in you. um, Yeah, I mean, that's that's a hard thing. Like some of them actually ran away when they were teens and had to start a life somewhere. And uh, it made me really realize how why so many people would stay, first Mm -hmm. of all. And second of all, it gave me so much respect for those who decided they want better and took
1: off. We uh, So I have a friend, my friend Jeff, who grew up in Colorado City, uh, Hildell, uh, in that town. And we we actually did an entire Strangeville podcast episode of him telling his story of growing up there, escaping the town when he was a teenager, and, and now being back there and helping victims and so forth. Um, and he was in Salt Lake City this week and happened to be visiting salt lake city with elisa wall who's one of the main contributors to the keep sweet documentary Mm -hmm. so they came over to our house on wednesday for dinner and we were able to ask her about you know what was it like creating this thing and she's incredible i mean she's really bright and you know obviously a really good advocate for the cause um but it was interesting to get her perspective because i asked her like what was it like making it and how did you feel watching it back and and she was very positive about it and she was like i'm glad that it's out there it was You know, I I enjoyed being able to participate. And she said, I really liked how it turned out. I felt like it reflected the stories we were telling. Um, She felt like they had done a really good job of kind of compiling it and helping people who are on the outside understand, like, this is what it looked like and this is what we went through. So that was kind of, it's nice to hear that. Yeah,
0: absolutely, because you never know how subjects are going to feel. For instance, after the... um, uh, the one about the salamander. What was it? The Oh, yeah. Murder Among the Mormons. Murder Among the Mormons. I got emails because I did a little write-up of it and I got emails from family of the victims who were like, we really do not feel good about how this oh, went I'm, down. So, you know, I'm you sure. always want to make sure that the people who are involved have some sort of say.
1: Yeah. Well, and maybe part of the difference for Keep Sweet is the, the, at least it felt to me the victims were driving the story. Yeah instead of like we want to tell a story about victims let's interview us, it was you know.
0: not about Warren Jeffs it was about the
1: victims mm-hmm. yeah it was like here sit down tell us what you went through and we'll piece it together Which,
0: if, if we're going to do true crime let's do it that way that way for sure what so. else have you been watching
1: okay finally and there's a big swing Ugh, i Boom. don't even want to talk about this what is what?
0: it i'm so nervous and excited
1: no it's you're not even going to be interested okay so they re- they rebooted an old ser, an older series called Queer as Folk, which I'm sure you've never watched. No, but I've heard of it. Yeah, like it's a, it's it's you know a well known series, and it was initially a British series, like I think in the late '90s, and it focuses on like LGBTQ stories. It's like mm-hmm. a, a group of friends who are, I think the initial series was like a bunch of like white gay dudes, and then they 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 created an American version, although I think it was filmed in Canada in like the early 2000s, and it was just like. Four insufferable white gay dudes, like, living and, you know, living their lives and whatever. And I, of course, watched I was, like, closeted, and I was in college, and I would, like, watch it online because it was, like, the only exposure that I had to, you know, anything. And looking back, like, I don't know that I ever liked the series because none of the characters are likable, but I watched it anyway. And so Peacock did a reboot, and I was curious enough that I was like, I'm going to give this a try. It's... uh, It's so insufferable, like so unlikable. And they're doing this thing, and I want to be careful about how I talk about this because I do appreciate this to a degree, but they're trying to update the series where it previously focused so heavily on white gay dudes. Yeah. And so they're like trying to be like, no, LGBTQ people come in all shapes and sizes, look like a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, And so they create this core friend group that is kind of hard to take seriously because you would never see this group like exists in real life sure. so like everybody is is one of the letters and in like they're, they're representing every possible version of diversity that could possibly exist in this tiny small friend group yeah and it's to a point where it's like I don't you you're focusing so much on trying to diversify the cast and the characters that you didn't put any time into helping us understand who the characters are and how they even know each other. It's
0: like if Twitter wrote a show.
1: Kind of. Yeah. And, and so, like, again, I want to be careful about how, what I say about this because I appreciate that I think TV shows and movies in general are doing better at diverse casting, first of all, but also, like, diverse storytelling. Yeah. But, like, you can go so far that you start to sacrifice the art. If you, like, you you still do need to have a narrative that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I don't think they're mutually exclusive, right? Like, yeah. it's not diversity or story. It should be both.
1: Yeah, like, we should figure out how to do that yeah. together. And I don't know that this show does that, but I may be wrong. It it seems to be getting good reviews, and I did watch the entire season. I would be curious if anybody is lis- who's listening to Hive Mind has watched this new series. I would love to get your take on it, so send it in. Meg, what have you been watching?
0: Okay, I just finished the best show I've ever seen. <clears throat> It's called The Bear, and it's on Hulu. Okay. whole bunch of F-words, so just know that going in. It's the language. They live in Chicago. They live in, like, Chicago, and they talk okay. like it. Okay. Um, it is briefly about a the world's best chef who inherits a restaurant from his brother who committed suicide, and the restaurant is a Chicago beef sandwich shop. Okay. So he goes from Michelin five stars to a dive in like the worst part of Chicago and it's about him and about his staff and you're being you're listening to this and you're like that sounds boring just trust me Mm -hmm. this is the best show you will ever watch
1: it's a drama yeah
0: it's a dramedy it's intense it's stressful but not in like a 24 stressful in like running a business okay. is stressful and working with humans is stressful and losing a family member is stressful.
1: Okay. So like the storytelling is good or what? Oh my like, gosh, incredible. Uh, really?
0: Incredible storytelling, incredible acting. Um all the characters are kind of weird looking but you fall in love with them. Okay. Um there's a whole every woman in America is thirsting after um Carmi the character okay I just I don't even want to say much more because you just need to watch okay. it I'm gonna um, start it tonight just incredible I think it has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes
1: okay great
0: um went and saw Minions with our children uh,
1: um, okay um explain the Minions universe to me they came from where and how much content is there about them now
0: oh okay oh boy <laughs> should have done a whole podcast so <laughs> Despicable Me is a movie that was released I don't know Maybe when I first had kids, like a decade ago. Okay. There were characters in Despicable Me who were supposed to be, I think, eventually little humans. They like ran out of time. And so there are these yellow, like pill shaped creatures who speak like Portuguese.
1: Okay. Sounds
0: like Portuguese. Like um, Oompa
1: Loompa type yeah. background characters. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. People loved the minions. Boomers on Facebook loved the That's minions. What I know They've about taken it, yeah. on a life of their own. Okay. Um, there have been, I think this is the third Minion only movie, not a Despicable Me. There have been three Despicable Me's and then I think three Minion films.
1: And do the Minions talk in their own films?
0: Yeah, but there's also humans. Okay. So it's not just Minion speak. Okay. Listen, it was a good time.
1: Okay. You liked it?
0: I enjoyed it. It's a tight 80 minutes. Okay. Kids loved it. Everyone kept interest for the whole time, which is like a lot uh-huh. for our family. Um hey, If you have kids, take them.
1: Is this Pixar? No. I don't know what Pixar is anymore. It's Dreamworks. Okay.
0: Um and we're still watching 30 Rock. Mhm. And What season
1: are you on? 4. Okay.
0: Uh that's when she's dating Carol.
1: Yes. Okay.
0: And it's great. And I know it's about to start getting bad. And that makes me Yeah. Sad. Uh, that's pretty much everything that I've been watching. We're gonna talk about Elvis.
1: Elvis Presley. You go first. Uh okay. My general thoughts about Elvis the film. Um, I Skylar almost made us walk out of it because it's so long. It's almost three hours, and we did not realize that. And when our two ended, Skyler was like, we don't have to stay, do we? And I was like, yeah, we need to see this through. So I wish that it was 70% as long as it was. Um, it, I've thought about it. Like, I walked out and I was like, I, didn't, I don't think I liked that movie. I've thought more and more about it. And I think I'm becoming more generous to it. Okay. And the reason why I'm becoming more generous is I think with the exception of Tom Hanks, who we'll get into... I think everybody's really good at it. Okay. And the the performances are fun. The storytelling is manic in yeah. a way that I don't know that I've really seen in other films. And definitely, I have not seen this in, in other biopics. Have
0: you seen other Baz Luhrmann movies?
1: What else has he done?
0: Moulin Rouge.
1: Yeah, I didn't love Moulin Great Rouge. Great
0: Gatsby a few years yeah. ago with Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Great Gatsby. Yeah, it's manic storytelling. Yeah. But it it was interesting to see that in a biopic. And so it just sort of jumps and jumps and jumps and jumps, like just this constant jumping. And I think I wasn't ready to go into a film like that because I don't actually know that much about Elvis. I'm not that interested in Elvis, but I was like, okay, now I'm going to go learn about Elvis. And I walked out and I was like, I don't know that I really learned that much about Elvis, like what happened in his life, but I feel like I learned a lot about the this type of filmmaking okay that makes sense
0: yeah i loved this Mm -hmm. i do agree that it should have been 70 percent as long because it did not pass the p-test and i need movies to pass the p-test okay the p-test is this i will go to the bathroom right before i go to a movie right Mm -hmm. empty bladder i'm going to get my mega mug that i now own at this uh, megaplex Mm -hmm. i'm gonna fill it up with diet coke and i'm gonna get popcorn I need to be able to drink my drink and not have to desperately pee before the movie ends. And this was not that. So make it a tight two hours.
1: Skylar took four pee breaks during this movie, by the way. That's excessive. I think the woman next to him wanted to kill him. Uh,
0: Well, he might be ill. Maybe he should go see uh, someone. We've had
1: so many conversations about this. He won't. Okay. Also,
0: I watched a TikTok about how you need to sometimes (laughs) ignore your bladder cues or you start responding to them too often. That's what
1: we've talked about. He will not listen.
0: Okay, Skylar, let's chat.
1: I would love that if you could chat with him.
0: Okay. So that said, it is too long. All movies are now. That's just our shared reality, and it's terrible. Okay. I am over quiet contemplative movies for a while. Okay. I want to go have fun at the movies. I want a party, and this was a party. It was a manic fever dream. It was cinematic. Yeah. It was chaotic. Second point, I freaking love Elvis. You do. I grew up thinking Elvis was the most important person in the world and would forever be the most famous person who has ever lived. I love Elvis' music.
1: Interesting. I've
0: always, I like, I honestly forgot how many bangers he has Uh until this movie. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, Elvis, every song was a banger. And so the backdrop of this movie is Elvis' music, which I loved. So I think those two things really teed it up for success for me personally and I do think this movie is a little bit of a Rorschach test like you're going to respond to it based entirely on your own lived experience going into it I know all art is that way and all movies are that way but I think maybe this one especially what kind of relationship you had with the musician Mm -hmm. and how you feel about movies in general right now I feel like we're we're not post-covid but we're like back at the movies and people want a party in the movies they don't want Mm -hmm. want Boslerman, three hours of Tom Hanks doing the most insane accent I've ever heard in my life.
1: Oh my goodness. Should we talk about it? Tom Hanks, I texted you and told, and this is something immediately when the film started. And Tom Hanks is, he's the first person you see on screen, he's the first person you hear from. And he starts doing this accent that I don't know what it is, but it's like, I am, di- I am here and I'll tell you now about the Elvis. It's this weird accent. And I immediately had flashed into my mind, Michael Scott and Holly in the office on stage at the corporate picnic doing a Slumdog Millionaire parody. <laughs> and I could not get that out of my head for the rest of the movie. And I was like, this is Michael Scott at the company p- picnic. Also, he's in this like fat suit and he's the prosthetic makeup. I mean, you you almost can't even recognize Tom Hanks in it. And I I want to say I say this as there there are a few actors like Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks and Tay Leone that like they have to be really bad in something for me to finally admit that like they're bad in it. Because I give a lot of passes. Yeah. And and Tom Tom Hanks truly like I, I want to see Tom Hanks in more stuff. And there's I don't know that there's any movie other than Elvis that I would say he's categorically bad in this. But as soon as it started, I was like, oh, no, no, please don't. No, no, please don't. And then about five minutes later, I was like, he's terrible. And now I have to sit through this. Now I have to sit through a bad Tom Hanks performance. Have you
0: seen Cloud Atlas? Uh-uh. OK. He's terrible in Cloud Atlas. Terrible movie altogether. OK. Like, I, th- I think he gets one every 15 years.
1: And sure, where everybody's entitled to a flop, but it was sad to see it. The way
0: this. I felt about this, I feel about Tom Hanks like he's an uncle, mm-hmm. and so I was like, "What is Uncle Tom doing?" And I was like, kind of bemused the whole time. Like, Tom, what are we? What? What's this choice? What's I don't know on? what it is. <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm confused. <laughs> what was the accent? Well, apparently, this guy, the colonel, actually was dutch yeah and he lived in the south so he had this weird southern dutch accent which i'm like maybe we don't have to be so accurate maybe you know maybe we could just like have a british guy do it yeah and it's hard when it's tom hanks because you're just seeing tom hanks like find a character actor
1: i that's exactly what i i just wish it was somebody we didn't know
0: which brings me to austin butler who nobody knows, and I thought he did a phenomenal He's incredible. job. And, he is Elvis.
1: And yes, and by the way, I have never personally found Elvis to be attractive, but I was very attractive oh. to El- attracted to Elvis in this movie. He... Austin Butler is cute. I
0: mean... <laughs> He's very cute. He's cuter than Elvis. He also has, like, a lot of people think he should be playing Ken in the Barbie movie Mm. because he just has this face. He
1: has a doll face.
0: It's kind of, like, dumb. Like, you look at that guy and you're like, that is a hot, dumb man. Yeah. You know? And so he kind of works perfectly for Elvis, who was kind of a hot, dumb man. Yeah. You know? Like, just kind of an empty vessel who could sing. And could be manipulated. And could move. Yeah. Um... Did this movie make you reflect on today's society in any way?
1: Oh, well, that sounds like a question where you're looking for a particular answer. It's a leading question,
0: so I'll just go ahead and say what I've been thinking. This movie reminded me so much of the panic around Harry Styles. Remember when Harry Styles wore a dress on the cover of Vogue and people Mm -hmm. lost their minds? Yeah. And then there was like a conservative commentator who said... I think that we should send Harry Styles to war and a bunch of Harry Styles fans pulled screenshots from Dunkirk and started trolling this guy and said he's literally in the armed forces and it turned into like this whole thing. Oh no. The panic over Elvis thrusting his hips while there's a Klan rally three yeah. miles away yeah. just felt like such a reflection of that to me, which I know is probably intentional and maybe even a little bit on the nose, but I was yeah. like, oh, we've always been like
1: that. Mm-hmm. It was interesting yeah. Um because like we're so removed from that particular offen- you know offensive thing that he did the thrusting hips or whatever or dancing on stage which like looking back doesn't look like anything yeah but like the fact that people were so upset by that is really funny to to see now yeah and it does make it does make me think about what is going to seem really absurd to people 50 years from now when they look back at 2022 and they're like, oh my gosh, why were they panicking about that thing?
0: Right, Lil Nas X.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, and like, do you ever stop the cycle or is this just the way it is? I think it's just the way like, it like, is. Like, generations older are just going to be like, freaked out by what their kids are into mm-hmm. and then the kids are going to be freaked out by what their kids are into. Mm-hmm. But hopefully society's overall getting better.
1: hmm yeah. I, I, in, in some ways, yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, I thought it was really interesting to focus the story of Elvis on how he had been used and manipulated by his manager. I didn't know any of that. Did you?
0: Yeah, kind of, but I feel like that's every story. I've never seen a musical biopic where someone hasn't been used or manipulated by a manager sure. or spouse or father. But
1: this seemed extreme. You think so? I think it seemed Did you see the Elton
0: John one? Yeah. Yeah. You felt like this was more extreme than that?
1: This killed him at 42. Like, he was, he was, there was a man who saw an opportunity, went in, and just controlled his entire life until it was, you know, ruined, and I don't think I had ever really thought about how, like, Elvis died... Not that much older than I am right now. It freaked
0: me out, Eli, when he was like, "I'm almost forty, and I haven't done anything." I was like, "Well, that's it for me then. I guess I'm gonna go."
1: Yeah, and so I don't. This felt like, this felt like going beyond just uh, somebody taking advantage of a talented person to like an extremely abusive, almost like slave-like relationship, and and it's presented as if it's like it's a form of slavery. Honestly, yeah, because like Elvis is trying to get out of it, and the guy just keeps like burying him with like legal obligations and and lawsuits and whatever to keep him performing like a monkey on a stage and getting like nothing out of it for himself or his family
0: yeah i guess i just didn't feel like it was that different from any other of the Mm. biopics i've seen um um what was i gonna ask you oh so one of the criticisms that i saw about Elvis at some point on social media was that he had stolen a lot of his music from black people. Mm-hmm. I feel like this movie at least made an attempt mm-hmm. to give the citizens of Bill Street the, the credit. credit they deserve. I don't know if it went far enough, but I was surprised in a good way to see like, oh, they're they're making an effort here.
1: Yeah, and they're also doing a bit of a cheat and maybe this maybe this is accurate, but they're doing a bit of a cheat where they're Showing these black characters uh, hear his music and see him doing it, and like giving like kind of tacit or even verbal uh approval, like yeah. "yay, he's bringing our music to the masses." Yeah. And it's like, is this the movie's way to be like, but see, it's okay, it's okay that he yeah. did this. Did that actually ha- happen, or is with... this like, yeah,
0: screenwriters?
1: I don't know. And were the screenwriters just a bunch of white people? I don't know. Yeah. But I would be interested in the other side of that story. You know, we're, to what degree were there people that were just like, well, this is like, he's taken our music, you know, and he's he's taken it in a direction that we didn't want him to take it, or he's taken it and he's done something with it that like, we didn't necessarily want that guy to be the one that did something with this type of music. You know, I would be interested in in exploring that side of the story a little bit more. But yes, it's true. This movie, if it was made twenty years ago, they're not even showing the influence in the no, first place. No, no, it's no. just like scene one is Elvis Presley performing live on TV and everybody freaking out because he invented rock and roll. You know, like that's how this movie would have been in the '90s or so.
0: Yeah, and I, uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is it's progress in the right yeah. direction. Could have gone further, but at least they tried something. Yeah. Um, I also would be remiss if I didn't remind us that. This is the movie that started COVID. Tom Hanks was in Australia filming Elvis. Really? When he came down with COVID nineteen, <laughs> and the world fell apart.
1: Maybe the the accent. Maybe the accent is a result of him having COVID. brain damage. Yeah, he's
0: <laughs> got long COVID. That's what's doing that. Oh, what do you give it?
1: Uh, I I give this movie a B and i also think that most people will enjoy it and i would pretty broadly recommend it
0: i think i give it a, a b plus okay it has flaws i had a great time
1: and you do you agree like most people would enjoy this movie yeah like my parents freaking loved this movie when
0: this movie is on tv in 5 years i'll watch 20 minutes at a time yeah and yeah. those will be an enjoyable 20 minutes i'm not going to plop down and watch all 2 hours and 40 minutes mhm but I'm going to enjoy the scene of him being the real Elvis at that packed Mississippi concert or Alabama.
1: Yeah. I like how you, how frequently you still pretend like you have cable.
0: You know what? I have YouTube TV.
1: And so you watch live TV now? Yeah.
0: Okay. It's the best. If you so don't have YouTube. Back. I got.
1: You got so mad at me for keeping cable as long as I did. And now you just have cable Listen, again. Listen, does
0: cable let you go back and watch a show that was on 30 minutes ago? Yes, that was on demand. This is what I, I was so... How much m- were you paying for cable?
1: Um, I think it was like 90 a month.
0: Okay, no. Get YouTube TV.
1: Okay. It's
0: like 25 a month.
1: Mm. But mm-hmm. then I didn't need like Hulu and I didn't need Peacock and I didn't need, you know, all these other things.
0: There's, like, Hulu exclusives that you can only watch on Hulu.
1: Uh, I'm right. sorry.
0: This is uh, this is how it is now. <laughs> I'm
1: never going to stop fighting about cable with you.
0: <laughs> you are, do what you want with your life. Why no, are you listening to me about now. anything? I
1: can't go back now. And now I got a Mac. You
0: did? Yeah, Congratulations. finally made me get a Mac because,
1: uh, yeah, I, I didn't have it. And so now I have to learn how to use a Mac. It's,
0: that's the thing. You don't have to learn that's how to use a Mac. That's what he keeps saying. But then
1: I tried to use his last week, and I was almost about to throw it against the wall because it's like i don't know how to open this stupid application you just click it (laughs)
0: literally all you do is click it okay (sighs) well happy elvis everybody thanks so much for listening